BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. Hey, is this Coolio? What's up? Coolio, this is James. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem, James. It's all good. So, Coolio, here's what my show is sort of about. It's about how people transform, like amazing artists and businessmen transform their lives from one career to another career to another career. And you've done that so well over your whole life. I wanted to talk to you about that. Is that cool with you? Sure. Okay. So, you know, I saw you once on um, Craig Ferguson's show, The Late Late Show, and you kind of did this funny thing. You turned the tables on him. And you asked him, um, you were almost making fun of the question, like, oh, how did you get into rapping? So I'm assuming, like, everyone asks you that. But I have to ask you that because it's interesting to me. So so when did you start getting into, obviously, you're one of the best rappers in history. When did you start doing it? How old were you? Um, I think I first started when I was, I was about 15, 14, 15. Why did you get and, into it? Uh, you know, um, I met some guys from New York. Um, I, obviously, I grew up in Compton, California. They moved across the street from me. They were from Brownsville, New York, and they had they moved in with their with their grandmother. Am I clear? Yeah, yeah, you're clear. Uh, I have to make sure because I'm driving with my hands free. You know, my little hands free thing. Okay, cool. Anyway, don't have don't have an accident. Oh, <laughs> uh, I won't. My hands are my hands are free. Okay, good. <laughs> We don't want you to have, like, a driving podcast incident. Okay, so anyway, um, there was this, there was, there was, you know, these these four, like, there was three guys, um, DJD, Richie C, and one named Wizkid, and they were, uh, they were from Brownsville, they moved across the street from me, and, uh, DJD, his name is actually, is, uh, actually Denard Valentine. And he was amazing on turntables. I, like, I, I had never seen anything like that before. So, I, 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 originally, I think I wanted to be a teacher. But, of course, you know, I'm from, uh, you know we grew up in a, in a slightly, uh, you know, not quite advantaged neighborhood. And, you know, my parents couldn't afford to buy me, uh, couldn't afford to buy me no turntables or nothing like that. So, uh, I, I used to just sit there and watch. 
I just watch them do it. And there was this, then, then after about, maybe about three, four, maybe even six months went by, another guy moved, moved to uh, Compton. He was a Puerto Rican dude named Juan. And uh, every girl that, every girl that I like, like him. That and, really um, sucks when that happens. Yeah, I hate that too. So, that happens so to me man, all the time, uh, but I'm not as cool as you. It's all good. I wasn't that cool back then, though. I I, I, just, I, I, I don't think that's I, true, but go ahead. I was on the first. I, I wasn't even called Coolio then. Yeah, but, but anyway. you know, you probably still had some kind of swagger going on. Like all these guys were hanging out with you. They were letting you hang out with them. Well, I mean, you know, I was from the neighborhood, so you know that's how I went. Anyway, take a long story short. Oh, Coolio, I'm starting to lose you now. Oh, you got me? Still got me? Yeah, now I got you. Okay, they made a they made a little they made a little uh, pause button tape. If you know what a pause button tape is, that's when um, you keep pausing the music and then retaping it until you make a beat. You know, you catch all the parts that you want on 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 a pause and you make it you make yourself a, a whole instrumental. Ah, oh, that's really interesting, because now you can just use computers for all that, but you probably had to get, like, right down into the nitty-gritty of what a beat was in order to make it work. Nah, well, nah, I mean, now, they did, of course. But um, they made a little tape, and every, everybody went outside after they made the tape, except one. He stayed inside, and he, um, he kept rewinding his part. Yeah, he rewinded his part. I think we rewinded about six times. You know, I, I looked up, and he was saying, and he said to me, he said, hey, that's, that's fly, yeah, that's fly. And I told him, I said, I said, that's all right. He said, he said, all right. He said, you can't even rap. I said, I, I know I can. I said, but that right there, what you just did, I said, I can, I can write something like that in like, I can write something like that in 10, 15 minutes. He said, do it then. And I did. And that was it. That was it. From that day on, um, Probably for the next ten years of my life, I wrote. I wrote every day. So, so, I, I, so, Coolio, this is really important. So, for ten years, you wrote every single day. Would you write first thing in the morning? Would you write in the afternoon? What would you write? Just lyrics? Yeah, whatever. And did you try? Were you rapping them also, or did you focus more on the writing? No, I was. I was rapping them too. And Practicing, you know. Like I said, we didn't have any equipment to, to make demos or nothing, so it was just and, practice. I was I was honing my skill. And so, so ten years. What year? What year did you start writing? How you were born in 1963, so it's like 1977. You started writing. Uh, let me see. Add that up. Let me see. 63 plus seven. That'll be 1970. 77. So about 78. Yeah. So. So I know your first two, your first single, or, or or one of your first big singles is "What You Gonna Do" uh, in nineteen eighty seven. No, it wasn't. It wasn't big. It was that small. Was, but it wasn't a big. I mean, it got played. It got played on the radio. That's it. I, mean, so I, don't, okay. I don't even think. I, I'm, I don't even know if it sold. You know, a hundred copies. I, don't, I have no clue. But what? But um, what I'm getting at is, you wrote for nine years. You practiced for nine years, and you had that one 
first single that sold whatever, 100 copies, played in the radio, was on the local scene in L.A., uh, yeah. and then it took you another four years after that, you joined uh, WC in the Mad Circle, and so you were really working at it. Like, there was no real, you didn't have any, you weren't making money at this time doing it, but you did it for the love of it. Absolutely. I did it because I, I, it made me feel good. I enjoyed it. It was, uh, kept me out of trouble, too. In, in what sense? I, like, what what were your friends doing? What was going on there? Oh, uh, gangbanging, robbing and stealing. So, so you were doing this for, for nine years before you even had a single single. Like, I'm assuming uh, girls like... Been, it, might, it, it might have been longer than that, to tell you the truth. Yeah, so, so it might have been longer than nine years. I'm not. I'm not absolutely sure. Were no, you getting was, pressure uh, to like go out in the gang? It was longer than that. Cause I mean, the, uh, I joined Low Profile before I joined the Mad Circle. Um, low, the Mad Circle came off the back of Low Profile because Low Low Profile Low Profile broke up. That was DJ Aladdin and PLC. Uh, you know, why, why do you think so many people think that they don't need to put in, like, nine years of work in order to be great at something? Um, I think because people are lazy. They want, especially the kids today, man, they want everything the easy way. And, I, you know, I was, I, like I said, I, I didn't even consider making it in rap. I mean, I, you know, people weren't getting record deals back then and stuff like that. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know if that was going to happen or not. I was just doing it because I loved it, and I, I actually wanted to be a psychologist. Why'd you want to be a psychologist? Because I was good at reading people. And, like, what, what's you know? an example? Like, what would, how, would you help your friends out and stuff? Yeah, I, I, used, to, um, I used to do the black test on people when what's I was, that? like, 14. When I was, like, 13, 14, I started doing the black test on people, and then I was um, doing word, you know, word analyzation. Like, um, tell it, you know, when you ask somebody the first thing that comes to their mind, and then based upon what they, based upon the, the uh, words that they say from a series of questions that you ask them, you psychoanalyze them and, and tell them about themselves. Uh, that's interesting. And did, did, did people respond, did your friends respond to that? Like, were you correct most of the time? I was, I was, I was one of those children, um, that I, I can read really well. And I, 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 I was really good in school, um, so I mean, I was I was reading on a college level when I was twelve, thirteen years old. And, and, my, and my comprehension was was I was I had comprehension of a twelfth grader when I was in seventh grade. Well, so were you, were your friends kind of making fun of you for this? Like, I'm sure they were they were you were probably really different from the kids you were hanging out with. Oh yeah, they used to call me old man. They call me Old Man Artist. My and, name and, is Artis. My real name is Artis, by the way. And, uh, you know, they would never say my name right. Uh, you know, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was crazy. They, they called me Old Man Artist, though. That was so, my nickname in the neighborhood. So you had this, so probably this kind of understanding of people combined with writing every day allowed you to kind of make, essentially make this poetry that turned into... You know, Fantastic Voyage, Gangsters Paris, uh, Gangsters Paradise, and all the all the songs that became huge hits. Yeah, you know, it was it was it was it was my vocabulary, my comprehension, 
It was all of it, man. And, and I'm, I'm, any kids out there listening or anybody out there listening that has any aspirations to be uh, an MC, you, you better get your words up, get your vocabulary up. That's the only way I think you really be good. But, you know, it, it seems like it's not only that, because let's take a look at, at Gangster's Paradise for a second. You refer to so many different things in that one song that I think that's part of what makes it so great. Like, just the first line, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, like, I don't know if you went to church as a kid, but, you know, obviously that's a, a, a religious phrase. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I did. I, I was... I didn't like. I'm not gonna say I, I, I really like going to church, but I, I I was forced to. You know, my mother made me go. And I was that was what we did on Sunday. And you and know that, what? And, and that seemed like it was part of your life, like all the kind of uh, gang stuff that was going on in your area. People were dying, so you really were in the valley of the shadow of death. Well, yeah. I, I unfortunately, I guess at this point, fortunately, because of the way things turned out. Um, I grew up. I grew up in, in, in Los Angeles during the time when the average lifespan of a young black male was 22 years old. Well, there's even that phrase in your song. I'm 23 now. Will Will I live to be 24? I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, so that's how most. I mean, most. A lot of. It was about 17 of us that started off all together. We played football together, basketball. We we grew up. We knew each other's moms and. You know, we, we all grew up around each other. Out of that 17, there is, there is now four of us left, and one of one and one of those four is doing life in prison. No, oh actually, no. It's five of us left, and one of those five is doing life in prison, and the other, the other 12, out of the other 12, eight of them lost before the age of 30. How'd they die? Drive-bys, um, you know, getting shot or getting stabbed or, you know, you know stuff like that. Drugs. So it, it seems it's, it's really interesting to me. Like, you take songs like Fantastic Voyage as, as an example. They're not the typical kind of straight out of Compton sort of song. Like you you were your your lyrics are never violent. Even though it's clear you're from, you know, South Central LA and everything, you, you weren't like an NWA type of guy. Well, I mean when I when I got a chance to when I got a chance to, to make records, um and I and I was I you know the first thing I thought to myself, okay, I'm gonna have the opportunity to be heard by millions. Do I wanna say do I want to say the same thing that somebody else already said? And I, so I looked at I looked at it that way, and I, I decided that no, that I didn't want to do that. So um, I just I took a I took a different approach. Well, and it was almost like kind of a semi-humorous approach, like Fantastic Voyage. The video is like it's like a like almost like your later Juggaloo stuff. Like it's all these clowns coming out of a car in the video. Actually, no, it wasn't clowns. It was just all kind of people. It was it was it was normal people coming out of the trunk. That was actually, and by the way, that was that whole video, pretty much that whole video and everything about it. The whole concept was mine. That's whole, great. Whole, so, so you be, you were you were writing the lyrics. Who wrote like uh, the music? Who wrote what? Who wrote the music, like the melody around the around the song? 
Um, my, my boy, uh, we call him DJ Wino. His real name is Brian Dobbs. Um, he, he, he wrote, uh, he did my, he did like 13 songs on my first album. Wow. And then did you work with him on Gangster's Paradise also? Yeah, he did about maybe seven on the second album. He didn't so, do that so, many on the third. Yeah. So Fantastic Voyage was a hit, but then Gangster's Paradise, you didn't even realize at first how big that was going to be. Like, how did that come about? Well, Gangster's Paradise, man, I, I walked in the studio and I heard the track playing. LV was singing, was just... Uh, he was just fleshing out the hook, just getting it, you know, just getting it right. And um, I walked in the studio and I was like, I said, who, who, who's, whose track is this? And the producer, his, the producer's name is uh, Doug Rashid. And I said, I said, whose beat is this? And he said, oh, nobody's. He said, it's something, something I'm working on. I sound just like him right now, too. He said, it's something, something, something I'm working on. I said, okay. I said, well, then it's mine. Just like that. And um, uh, the first thing I said was, as I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left. I said that. I sat down. I wrote that down. And then I kept writing it. I, 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 you know what? The funny thing about Project Paradise, I don't think I ever, once I started writing Gangster Paradise, I never picked up my pen. Wow, you just like said it. I mean, it was it was kind of like, you know, you know what's weird about Gangster Paradise, and I, I used to say that I wrote Gangster Paradise, but in reality, Gangster Paradise wrote me. And and I mean, the lyrics every step of the way are, they're they're really inspirational. They're not about uh, a gangster's paradise. They're about getting out of what somebody might view as a gangster's paradise, they're, so you can get out of the, the shadow of death. Well, I you know what, man? You know, I grew, I grew up in a bad neighborhood, and I, and I grew up around a lot of bad people, but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't necessarily a bad kid, man. I, I wanted to be friends with everybody. I was a nice guy, which was not a good thing. Well, I was uh, <laughs> really not. You know, um, I, I, went, I went through a lot. I went through a lot because of being nice. Like what? I mean, I, I mean, I got, I got bullied. I got bullied, man, from from second grade to all the way to seventh grade. Man, I was, I was a bullied child. So, so got, you really wanted to? Yeah, because I was nice. I didn't want, I didn't want to, I didn't want to fight. I wanted, I wanted to teach everybody how to read. And so, so you wrote I this song. I, I, I had aspirations of being the the next uh, Martin Luther King or. Malcolm X or, or something like that. That, that. Those were my aspirations in life. You know, okay. I, I mean, that's, that, that's what I started off wanting to be. Okay, well, so you were 22 years old when you wrote Gangster's Paradise, and this really changed your life. Like, you were you, you were a, a life-changing person at that age. Well, actually, actually, Fantastic Voice changed my life. I think more than, more than Gangster Paradise did at, at that time. Um... Now, if you if you look on some years later, of course, Gangster Paradise took me took me to a lot of places that Fantastic Voyage didn't. But Fantastic Voyage actually gave me a uh, it gave me a it gave me a taste. It gave me a it gave me a glimpse of 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 what it could be. You know, well, not more than a glimpse, more than a glimpse. Because you know, I got, got nominated for 
I got a Grammy nomination for uh, Fantastic Voyage. Well, Fantastic Voyage so, is definitely, in my view, will put you on the map. That got that was a video that was played everywhere. Yeah. It was a huge hit. Uh, it, it probably got you into the, you know, they they probably, you know, Dangerous Minds probably picked Gangster's Paradise because of Fantastic Voyage. Gangster Paradise, and Fantastic Voyage got me in the door, all the way through the door and into the next room. But but Gangster Paradise got me into the attic and the backyard and and, and on the tennis court and and, and into the pool and it solidified me um, as a as somebody that you know that people will probably always remember long after I'm gone. So I mean, you know, I'm I'm blessed, man. I, it was a blessing, but it's also a curse. Why is that? Because for the, I mean, for the life of me, man. I mean, I write some. I've, I've been writing great songs since Gangsta's Paradise, but you know, people. It's almost like I only got one song to a lot of people. Like, <laughs> like when you go on tour, every single time you perform, do you perform Gangster's Paradise? I have to. I have to. Like people, and man, people would be upset if I didn't. But here's what, something. What about, here's something. You know, you know, even here's recently, you've got I, some I, I, great I, I, songs, I, like your song with Snoop Dogg. Well, the song with Snoop Dogg? I mean, it did pretty good. I mean, I got some record sales off that um, in other parts of the world and Europe. But I didn't. I, I didn't. Even, I didn't release it in the United States. Oh, really? You know? It's on Another, YouTube, though. Like you can watch it. Yeah. Well, yeah. People can see it. It's, it's all good. But I'm just saying, it's it's just it's just a weird thing, you know. I mean, do you ever feel I, sad because you feel like Gangster Walk? Everybody views Gangster Walk as like I mean, Gangster's Paradise as this like peak in your rap career. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm not, it's not sad. I'm not sad about it, but it's, uh, you know, it's weird. It's, it's like I said, it's, it's a weird thing because, I mean, it's like you don't know. It's like I, I never, after this paradise, it's like nobody wanted to give me another chance. Like nobody wanted to hear me again. Like, you know, I mean, you know, people didn't, I don't know. It was weird. Like I, but my first album, I think, was much better than my second album. But nobody heard it, and that, but, that, but, but, but that wasn't my fault. Nor I think it was the people's fault. That was that was my record company's fault, which at the time was Tommy Boy. And absolutely, I think they did it on purpose. It was it was it was internal sabotage, and it was something that they did to to all the the multi-platinum groups like De La Soul and Naughty by Nature. If you if you take a look at if you take a look at Tommy Boy's history, if you take every last one of they 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 double platinum groups. Uh, the, the 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 group that that made them their money, they did not do well on their third album, and I think it was because of the way the contract was written. The way the contract was written, um, I'm sure everybody had the same the same language in their contract. Um, if you if you went, if you did well on that third album, oh they oh man, you got so many you got so many points and, and so much they had to give you so much money, and I don't think they wanted to do that back then. They didn't have the. They didn't have that kind of vision. They was like, okay, we made enough money. It's time to move on to the next. But and, you know, despite I, despite that, you did it on purpose. You know, you you still had see you when you get there on the on that next album, which was really, you know, that album went platinum also. Uh, well, you know, I mean, still, but it didn't at the time though. It didn't at the time. It didn't, it didn't do well at the time. You know what I mean? At the time, I mean, I had I had eight, ten singles on that on that third album. Wow. 
So let's let's talk, let me ask you about the economics. So how many copies did Gangster's Paradise sell? Gangster's Paradise sold over seventy million copies. Oh I say gosh. when it's all said and done, it'll be a, it'll probably be at about thirty million. And so, so I mean, I'm, at about hundred million. When it's all said and done, when it's all said and done, probably by the time I'm by the time I'm um, going to see me my major, I, I would say that Gangster's Paradise will probably be at a hundred million. Wow, and and then and again for each for each sale, and you're probably still making money because of iTunes and all that. How, how much? Yeah, do you I, make mean, for... I, still, I still I still make money off of it. Listen, like I said, it's it, it's a blessing and a curse. But you know, yeah. there are those that I do I do have some core fans that you know they wait to see what I'm doing next, and they listen to the stuff that I'm doing now, the stuff I did in, in previous years. That a lot of a, a lot of you know, I'm, I'm, I'm once again, I'm an underground artist like I used to be. I'm not a mainstream artist anymore, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm one of the kings of the underground, though. But um, so like with, with iTunes, which is now like, how do you feel about the fact that basically everything moved from albums to iTunes? So now you just have to sell singles rather than albums. Hey, I, I predicted that. I predicted that 15, 17 years ago. I, I, you know, I actually said that. Um, everybody should prepare pre- prepare themselves for music to be free because you have, you have, I, I looked at it like this. If somebody has a choice between paying their light bill, buying some food, or buying an album, I think they, they're not going to pick the album. Right. Now, so, but, but how, how will artists make money? Like, how will the next generation of rappers make money? They're going to be like bards. They're gonna be like bards and traveling musicians. Um, it's, it's even like now, you know, if you want to, for an artist to even come out and sign autographs, they're getting twenty, thirty, forty thousand, stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? So it's all about getting money on appearances and sponsorships and and clothing deals and you know stuff like that. Um, it's not really about record sales anymore. And and you know, I knew that was gonna happen. So you know. Hey, pretty soon it might get worse than that. People won't probably want to be paying for concerts no more. You know, once 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 it gets really bad here in the, in our country, um, people want, people are not going to be able to afford to pay for concerts. And you know, it, you never know. I mean, if, if we went, if, if if this country goes under martial law, um, they won't even allow allow concerts, uh, or they all the concerts will be uh, sponsored by the government. So people people who have some talent to sing play uh, an instrument, rap, or something like that, they're going to be like traveling bars. They're going to travel around, and they're going to sing, rap, dance, and play for, for food, for food and, and lodging like they used to do back in the day, like they so, did in the, in, in the uh, you know, during the time when they, when they were, you know, I, I guess I could see what say medieval, medieval times. So, so Coolio, that, that's a, a pretty pessimistic view of where things are heading. Um, do you think there's a chance for optimism? Um, I'm not very optimistic about uh, what, 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 you know, taking a look at what's going on and knowing what I know and seeing what I've seen and actually, you know, being right in the thick in the thick of some of these things. Um, I, I, I would say that things are going to get absolutely, completely much worse before they ever get better. And who knows? In a, definitely in my lifetime, I won't see things get better. I didn't. I didn't even expect to be alive uh, during the, during these times. The, the things that are going on right now, 
I didn't, I didn't even expect to be here. So, what what do you, you know, see as the next steps in kind of like the downfall of America? The the the, the um, fall of the dollar. Ah, yeah, no, I. The, dollar, I, the dollars, the dollars, come on, the dollars dropped four percent every year since two thousand nine. Now, Coolio, why do you keep track of this stuff? Hey man, because I mean it's, it's important. It's important, you know, for my it's important to, for my for me to keep track of that stuff so that I can because because I, I have a family, I have children, and I have I have people that depend on me, man. So every every dollar counts, and every penny counts. At these that in these in these times, I'm trying to figure out a way to to get my money out of dollars. You know, I'm trying to figure out what's the next what's the next phase. I, gold is too expensive, copper, precious metals are too expensive. So. I'm trying to figure out something else. I'm I'm gonna I'm, I'm try to figure out some type of I'm trying to create some type of barter system or something. That's interesting. So so have you have you invested in other stuff other than precious metals or or euros or anything? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I I, I, I dib, I'm dibbling dabbling in a few things. You know, I got I, I'm dibbling. I, you know, I don't want to I don't want to put it out there. I want nobody to make a run or what I'm running on. <laughs> but um, so, you know, so, I'm. I, I want to. My thing is what, I, what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to learn how to be self-sustainable, how to live, how to live without the power company, how to live without without uh, the water company and the gas company and all of it, and you know how to you know um, how to have a have a vehicle um, drive without gas, and you know I'm trying to think of other things, other ways to other ways to 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 live life, you know. Without being dependent on on anybody, I'm I'm not necessarily saying I'm trying to get off the grid, but I'm trying to get I I want to be able to get off the grid if I have to. So, have you looked into like the architecture of stuff like that, or like how to build a house like that? Uh, I don't think a house is going to be that important. You know, um, you know, some type of depending on where where I decide to, you know, where where, where I have to move around to. Um, it might be, but as long as I have, as long as I have a, a vehicle, you know, I have somewhere to sleep. Right. That's, you know, again, given the amazing success you've had, that's a pessimistic way to look at it. It's, you're basically saying you're going to try to figure out a vehicle where you could sleep in kind of a big car. Uh, well, either that or, or some type of tent structure or, you know, it's like there's always the caves, you know, there's always going to be caves and, you know, I mean, you know. There's many ways to do things. You, you know, you could dig a big pit and put a tarp over it, as long as it's, as long as it's not raining or, or snowing real heavy. But you um, know what, you know what Julio, A lot of times, I see people who are young. They get worried about money, and then after they have money, they get worried about the end of the world and survival. I I think sometimes it's not as optimistic as young people think, and it's not as pessimistic as. Us uh, people who have, you know, gotten a little older think either. Well, you, you, that's because you're suffering from normalcy. <laughs> you know, that and, and like most people, most people suffer from normalcy. Normalcy is normalcy is a condition that that most people have where they they don't believe that something like that could happen because it hasn't happened. And that, yeah. but you but, but you live in America, so that's why you feel that way. But. If you lived in uh, if you lived in Venezuela, or you lived in uh, if you lived in let's say Russia, you wouldn't you wouldn't be thinking like that because it's already happened in those places. Also, yeah. um, 
also, and I'm, I'm listen, I'm not saying, and I, I listen, all this end of the world crap, that's crap. There's not going to be no end of the world. That's not going to happen. What it is, it's going to be the end of an age. When people, when people start talking about the end of the world, that, <clears throat> they, they, you know, they, they read it wrong because if, 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 you know, if you understand the things that were written down that were passed on to us for us to learn from were interpreted wrong. And when people, when people interpreted the end of the world, that phrase, what they, what it actually was the end of the eon. And the eon is actually the end of the age. And we already, we already, uh, have ended one age and into another one. We're now in the age of Aquarius. So that's already happened. So, you know, and you know, it's funny, people... throughout your, throughout your music, there's this undertone of, you know, uh, I don't want to say kind of a religious undertone because obviously in Gangster's Paradise you start that way, but even the idea of a fantastic voyage or see you when you get there, all of these titles suggest that you know we're going someplace. And well, well, listen, I, I'm 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 gonna have to say that I'm gonna say this. Um, I'm, not, I'm not religious at all. I don't believe in organized religion nor denomination. I think that religion is written doctrine created by men to control other men, women, and children. That's what I believe. I don't, I don't believe in religion. I do believe that there's a creator. You know, I believe that there's, there's some type of God figure, but I don't believe in any man-made religion. Because <clears throat> most of these religions are old enough to have, you know, most of the religions that we're taught, taught to uh, take part in aren't old enough to, to, to possibly be true because the earth, the earth is much older than that. And, like I said, from the things I've studied and read, um, they, they can't possibly be true. And anybody that thinks they are, it's just because they, they've been brainwashed. They've been brainwashed by, by society and by the system. And, so, I, and I, refuse, I, refuse to, I refuse to take that route. I'm, 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 you know, I'm, a fine, I, I'm one of those kind of people, man, I got to find my own way, even if it's the wrong way. <laughs> you know, I um, like learn my style and error. And sometimes, you know, most of my life lessons have been hard ones. So it, it seems like in the past ten years, you've taken like um, kind of a right turn. Like I really love the, uh, you know, uh, cooking with Coolio. A lot of your reality stuff. Uh, you know, it seems like you also had this very big interest in being a chef, and you're expressing it. You know, in all these different reality shows. I can cook, man. I really can. I have an affinity for it. You know, it's something that happened totally by accident. Um, I, you know, my, I, there was a time when I, you know, I, I didn't enjoy mealtime anymore. I didn't enjoy food. I ate to live. And then because of that, you know, um, I used to eat my food like that as if I was in prison, as if I was on a time limit. And one day my daughter said to me, she said, Daddy, why do you eat like that? And I said, eat like that? She said, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, well, and I, so I explained it to her. I said, well, I don't really enjoy the food. She said, this food is good, though. I said, well, it's not good to me. And so she said, you know what, you, Daddy, you might need some therapy. You might need to go see somebody and talk to somebody about that. And I was like, shut up. Then go eat. So, but I, I, it did stick in my head what she said, and I recognized that I did have some type of problem. But, you know, uh, most of the time, black people don't do therapy. And I'm one of those people. So I gave myself, I gave myself therapy, self-therapy. I identified what my problem was. 
and where it stems from. And I sat down and objectively thought about a way to fix it, which was to learn how to cook things that taste like my mother's cooking. And that way I would enjoy food again. And that's what I did. It took me, probably took me 10, 12, 10, probably took me 10 years, almost 12 years to, to figure out the way my mother used to do things. But I did, and some of the things I do better. And through that process, I realized that I had a refined palate. So, um, yeah, it took me to, took me to a done place. So that's funny. Another, it, again, it took 10 years of work. Like how many, how, were you cooking every day? Were you studying cooking every day? Pretty much, yeah. I was, what's up, man? I get a, let me get a toast. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I cooked every day for, for a lot of years. And, you know, I got, I, I got stuck in my uh, chili powder phase where everything I cooked it had to have chili powder in it or it had to have, it had to be hot or and spicy. Um, I went from that to, went from that to cooking everything in the oven. Everything I made was in, it was in the oven and I slow cooked all my meat and, you know, pretty much um, used the same seasoning on everything. And from that, I just branched out and started, you know, I just started doing all kinds of stuff. And then, and then you, you did the online show, you know, uh, uh, Cooking with Coolio. What made you decide to do an online show like that? Me and my, my business partner and my manager, uh, Jerez, we used, to, we, used to, we used to share a house. And, um, hey, Jerez, his, he was on Cooking with Coolio. Yeah, he's sitting, he actually sitting right here. That's my, he used to be my AC. He ain't my AC no more. He's he a chef in his own right now, so I, I can't really call him my AC no more. But, you know, I'm, I'm his sous chef. He's my sous chef. We, you know, we help each other out. Cool. So, anyway, um, we were watching, we both were happened to be watching this, uh, this, watching the cooking channel or, or the Food Network or something like that. And it was this guy on there. And he was boiling some water for something. And he was talking, and he turned his head away from the pot, and he grabbed the handle. Not, you know, and he didn't realize that, it was, that the handle was, was, not, was not non-conductive. It was conductive, and the handle was just as hot as the pot. And he burnt the hell out of his hand, and he dropped the pot, and he screamed. And I started cracking up. And Jerez started cracking up, but he was in another room. Now, listen to me. Jerez was in another room. I was in another room. We both was watching the same thing. We both ran out of our room at the same time, met each other in the hallway, and realized that we had been watching the same thing. And, and then so um, he said, he said, man, cooking shows is boring, man. I, man, man, somebody need to do another type of cooking show, man. He said, then he said, what, what if we had a cooking show? And I said, if we had a cooking show, It'll be like this. And we started pretending like we had a cooking show. So every time my kids would come over or somebody would come over, we'd bring some girls over or whatever, we would pretend like we had a cooking show. That's great. And that's how it started. And we did, we did it for fun. And then um, a, a friend of ours came over. So had just, he, he just happened to uh, um, just I got his foot in the door. He was a writer who had just got his foot in the door in Hollywood. And television, well, film and television, and he said he knew somebody that might be might want to give us a deal online, which was mydamnchannel.com, and 
you know, we, 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 we went and pitched them the idea and they were, they were, they jumped on it. And that, that's how, that's how uh, Cookie Makuya was born. Well, it's really funny because it's a different side of you. You know, people are used to seeing the gangster's paradise, Coolio, and then you're, it's just off the charts, the cooking with Coolio. It's not your average cooking show. Well, state, state, you know what, state, just speaking of, speaking of that, um, you got to just stop paying attention and, you know, check my Facebook, you know, check my Instagram and my Twitter and my Vine, and we starting to do a lot more comedy type stuff. I'm a, I'm, I'm starting to do these, uh, do this, this, uh, show called uh, Coolio's Comedy Cafe. Oh, I didn't know about and, that. Yeah, we just we, as we just started, it's, 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 it's in its infancy, but I, I, I promise you won't have to wait 10 years for me to find this one, because I already got it down. So, so we're going to start doing... Do you still, every like month or six months or whatever, get a check for Gangster's Paradise? Like, Does that still bring in money? Every four months. Every four months. So that'll just keep you going. Yeah, every, every, every quarter. Every quarter. And you're touring, and you're doing all this other creative stuff. When you were first starting out with the rapping, and you were writing every single day, 10 years, who were your biggest influences? Because you must have had, like, kind of mentors, either virtual or actual. Melly Mel from uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, I think. That was These my, are all New York guys. Was, yeah, that was the first rapper I wanted to be like. And he used to rap like this. Uh, I'm Melly Mel. I'm Coolio. I mean, it was like that. <laughs> that was my first. And then there was Curtis Blow and, and Run DMC. And the first time I went to Fresh Fest, and, and, I, I, and I, had a, I had a partner I was rapping with named Spoonie C. And uh, we, saw, we, saw, we saw Run DMC for the first time, and it, and it, changed, it changed my life. You know, I immediately, we immediately, you know, we were doing, a, we were in a performing arts program at a radio station called KDAY back in the day, 1580 K. It was on AM radio. And we, uh, we um, were in a performing arts program for them, and we performed at the, we performed at senior centers and, and you know, performed at, at high schools. And, you know, every once in a while, you know, somebody would get a, would get a slot opening up for, for, for a big artist, you know, at a, at a radio, one of those radio summer jam shows, type jam. And... All that type of stuff, and from you know, I immediately went. You know, I went and changed my my show completely after I saw the MC. Like my whole my whole way of looking at hip hop changed. In in what way? Um, I realized that I you know I actually realized what actual stage presence and showmanship was. You know, I ne I ne I've never I've never seen anybody control the stage like Ron did. Ron controlled the stage better than, better than, uh, the, uh, what's, what's up with from the Rolling Stones, man? He, uh, Ron, Ron from Run DMC controlled the stage better than Mick Jagger. Really? Because Mick Jagger's known oh, absolutely. for controlling the absolutely. stage. I mean, he was, he was, he was, man, people hung on his every word, like, everything he said, people just hung on his words, man, and I, I, I just, I was amazed. I was like, I want to do that. So what, what I'm, are some tips I'm going to be like that. And, I, and that's, that's what I aspire to be. What, what are and some then, tips? Um, I, and then, I, then I'm going to tell you somebody else that changed the way everybody, the way everybody rapped. And that was uh, Rakim from Eric B and Rakim. Rakim was the first rapper to rap in his natural speaking voice. 
versus rapping like this or putting some kind of accent on his voice or something like that. He was the first one to do that. And uh, it, ch it changed everything. It changed, it, changed the way, it changed the way we do everything. But, you know, I feel like in your, like, like take uh, Gangster's Paradise as a classic example. You're all, there's almost a little bit of singing in what you're doing. It's not like your well, natural voice. Well, you know, I'm not. Well, well, no, I'm good. Back, back, then, back then, I think, um, when I was rapping, I tried to put a lot. I tried to, I wanted to be, I wanted to have my own style, my own sound. So, I. I, I took a little bit of that old school stuff and put it back into hip hop. As I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I put it. I put a lot of inflection on my voice, you know. Right. I put a lot. I put a lot. I tried. I tried to sound like. The, I, I wanted to sound like the things that I was saying, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean it sounds unlike. I mean that was just so people know that was the number one selling song in 1995 across all genres. So you beat everybody. How did that feel yeah, yeah, also, that year? It also, was the, it also was the, it also, it start, to this day, it is the, the longest number one single in Australia. Really? <laughs> yes. Why Australia? Uh, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the it's, uh, across the board, around the world, it's the number one selling rap song around the world. So Not what, in the what United rappers States anymore, in LA but, were mentors to you? Uh, I mean, I, of course, I was a Q, I was a high school fan, Easy E fan, you know. Um, I mean, I I I, I, learned, I learned a lot from Ice T. I, I got a chance to go on tour with Ice T back in the day. Ice T actually taught me. I learned what I learned from Ice T. I learned how to be, how to be an artist, how to be an actual artist. It had nothing to do with performing or anything like that, but how to be an actual artist, how to do interviews and how to conduct yourself and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, I, I learned that from him. Well, um, what are some of the tips I, he gave you? Well, this, this was the, the main tip that, that Ice-T gave me and the thing I always remember him and I thank him for it to this day. He told me to, that when you're doing interviews, he said, don't let them, dic don't ever let anybody dictate an interview when they're talking to you. Say, answer their question and then tell them what you want them to know. And he said, especially, and he said, if they, if they start, if they start, you know, getting pushy, he said, just over talk them and, and, and drown them out. He said, then if they start getting pushy, he said, don't let them talk at all. Don't even let them ask you questions. Ask yourself the questions. And then just continue, continue on and, 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 and have your own agenda. You know, let, let people, let people know what you want them to know. Not what, not what anybody asks you. So if somebody asks you a question, that you don't want to answer, just just pretend like you didn't hear it and, 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 and say something completely different that has nothing to do with the question they asked you. And then, you know, Ice-T sort of um, took rap into kind of a metal direction, and you, again, took rap into this more kind of melodic or lyrical direction with Gangster's Paradise. Um, so you guys got sort of split off in terms of style. Yeah, well, Ice, you know, Ice was... Uh, Ice was trying to Ice was trying to create something that would allow him to remain something that was that was going to last longer than the average rap career, and he did that. <laughs> he did exactly that with the body count thing and everything, you know. 
If yeah, I, you know, I, you I, play, I, 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 I would have the direction I would've, now I, of doing, you know, kind of TV stuff. I mean, with him with, uh, you know, his CSI stuff and you with, uh, you know, the cooking with Coolio and the reality show stuff. Yeah, Ice, Ice, is, Ice is a true artist, man. Like I said, I learned, I learned a whole lot from him. You know, he, he, he's a, a straight original and, yeah, he, he, he taught, he taught a lot of people a lot. Of, he taught a lot of people. Well, you know, I mean, he had he had the he had the rhyme syndicate. He he taught all them cats. He taught Dub, he taught Dub C how to be an artist. I mean, pretty, I mean, just everybody. Every, I think I think everybody learned from Ice T. So so it's interesting. I think the lessons here are right every day. You got to do what you love every single day, and you can't get distracted by no matter what is going on around you. And you got to learn from the people around you, like the mentors around you. And you also, you got to, you know, I think you got to be, you got to be prepared to, you got to, listen, I'm, I'm going to say it like this. this. This is what I say. And this is what I tell kids. If you are rapping, singing, doing any type of entertainment because you want to be rich, you want to be famous, you want to get girls or guys, whatever, if, you, if that's why you're doing it, then you should stop because it might not happen. If you're doing it because you love it, then continue to do it because you love it. And even if you don't make it, at least you at least you you'll be doing something that you love, and and you know learn how to do other things. You know you might you might you know learn learn the business of music and the business of of of, of uh, other forms of entertainment, and you know maybe you can manage somebody, and you know and and, and you just rap for uh, or dance or sing for a hobby. So I, you know, I kind of call that I kind of call that the umbrella pr- approach. So if you're interested in rap. There's lots of ways you could succeed. One way is rapping, the other way is managing, the other way is being an executive or whatever. It is, it is man. That's a whole bunch of ways to go, man. A lot, a lot, quite a few. And so, well, what, you know, what's, I'm, I'm just, go ahead. what's next for you? Are you are you going to focus on the? I mean, obviously you're doing touring. Are you going to focus on the comedy shows? Well, uh, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm trying to do a, a, a few things. A few things right now. Um, I'm gonna I'm stay with I'm gonna stay with the stay with cooking because you know that's that's one of my passions and you know I'm, I'm gonna keep rapping until until I until I, I start sounding like uh, till I don't sound good anymore <laughs> or you know I don't have wind anymore. You know, I'm getting older. <clears throat> I'll continue to continue rapping until I until I'm not good anymore. I mean, when when it start when I start sounding like garbage. And my mind is, my mind is not sharp enough. Where I, I'm witty and I can come with with, with bomb lyrics, then then I quit. Um, but and then after you know, in the in the midst of that, I'm going to continue to to, to cook and create create different foods and different dishes. Um, I plan to go into frozen food someday. Um, open and maybe open a restaurant or, or you know and have maybe a couple food trucks and. You know, who knows? You know, we might we might even open a a, 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 a a Coolio cooking school. Who knows? Yeah, you know, I love I that the, idea. I get the right investors. Um, not only that, um, we're gonna do some. We're gonna do some comedy. We're gonna do more cooking shows. We're gonna do more cookbooks. Um, we're gonna do festivals and and all kind of stuff, man. And then we just, you know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to get trying to get back on TV. And then well, I'm also I'm I'm. I'm 
I'm trying to bring a hip hop show to the Vegas Strip. Well, what would you say right now is, given the span of your career, like this is a, a 35 year span of your career, what's the lowest point of your career? Uh, man. You know, I I don't even want to talk about that because yeah, I don't even want, I don't, you know I don't want to go there. Okay, I'm, no I'm, problem. I'm, 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 I'm well, you know, I'm just saying I'm well, I'm well away from that that point, and I, you know, the way that the way to stay away from something is to leave it away. <laughs> so well, I, well, yeah, let me I, ask I, you I, in a different way. Let me ask you in a different way. How did you bounce back from the lowest point in your career? Um, I just took it one day at a time, bro. Yeah. And you know, I'm right. gonna tell you the lowest point of my career. I, I, I had a little stint, maybe about eight years ago. Um, I, I started I started dabbling and playing around with, the, with that damn cocaine again, and um, it, it almost it almost got me. It almost got me, but I was able to get away from it again. So you know that's 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 two strikes. I, I won't go in for a third. So I'm 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 done. I'm I'm done. I'm done. With, I'm done with the drug scene and. How do you that, get away from a bad habit like that? Man, you just I mean it's willpower. You know you have to understand the only. Uh, there, there aren't many drugs that are physically addictive. There are some. I've never been hooked on any. Um, cocaine, stuff like that. Those are mentally addictive drugs, and my my mind is my mind is stronger than my body. I, you know, I, I can I, I tell I tell I tell my body and I tell my hands and my feet, and, and you know not to not to go and buy drugs from this from this person or that person. I control myself, so you know my mind. I just Use my mind. And say, okay, I don't, I don't want to do that no more, so I'm not. Well, clearly, that's helped you in a lot of cases. Building up the rap career, avoiding these situations, building the cooking career. You've been an incredible success. I have to tell you, uh, I, I don't know if this is a good or bad thing to tell you, but Gangster's Paradise is my all-time favorite song ever. So thank you for writing it. It's a completely different song than any other song out there. And I really yeah. appreciate you coming on my show. Hey, you know what? You're, you're where you you're where you are right now, but I bet you if you if you could see what I'm seeing right now, you'll wish you had my eyes. I'm sure. What are you seeing right now? Man, you should see this bartender I'm looking at right now. Man, she's smoking like the room is the room got a little haze of smoke in it, like somebody in there smoking cigarettes. Well, she, she that hot. She that hot, bro. She that she's so hot that she's so hot that she got a. That is that you know somebody need to pour some, put ice on everything in here. That's uh, that, see, you still got away with words. Um, so, nah, I'm just telling. I'm, to be honest with you, I'm just telling the damn truth. That's great, Colio. Well, you've had an you impressive talk? career, and and again, mm-hmm. uh, hey, thanks so much hey, for, for coming on the show. I super appreciate hey, it. She's she from Hungary. <laughs> she making she making me hungry. <laughs> she look like something to eat. See, you're combining your <laughs> cooking with your rapping. Exactly, hey man. You know what? Because you, you, you know, you, you, you started off kind of. You know, I thought I thought you was gonna be obnoxious and whatnot, but you actually, um, you, you, you started off. You started off. You started off. You started off. No, no, no. You started off kind of goofy, but okay. then you know, actually, you're, you're you're quite you're quite intelligent, man. Your 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 line of questioning and the way you ask questions is very uh, disarming. You made me talk about stuff that I don't normally, uh, you know, talk about. I, I let you get in my head, man, without without really knowing it. 
So, so kudos. Kudos oh, to you, Oh, thank you. We, we're, we're mutual fans. That's great. Thanks again. Right, be cool, I will, bro. I will talk right, to you soon, Coleo. Bye. Keep doing what you're doing, man. You too. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.